From my understanding, you've been going through a series on Acts, and the question has been raised, who are we becoming? Who are we becoming? And when I look at Acts chapter 6, one of the themes that stand out to me is the theme of spiritual leadership, Uh, that there are acts of spiritual leadership in Acts chapter 6. And I believe as I look over this audience that God is raising men and women who are going to lead the church, who are going to lead this country to greater heights, spiritual heights. And it's my prayer uh, that the Spirit of God would ignite a spirit of leadership that will have a ripple effect uh, through this land and country. So I'm encouraged uh, tonight because I see leaders all around me tonight, and I thank God for what he's doing in you and what he's getting ready to do through you. Amen. Amen. The scripture is taken from Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, and it reads as follows. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them. And we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Acts of spiritual leadership. In 1956, Tragic news spread across the world. Five American young men, Pete Fleming, Nate Saint, Ed McCulley, Peter Fleming, and Paul Udarian. Sons, husbands, fathers were massacred by a tribe of Alka Indians. Their purpose was to take the good news of Jesus Christ to the Alcas. The opposition to this endeavor cost them their lives. The agonizing loss, which seemed at the time to be such a waste, has turned into a great fruit for the kingdom of God. Over the years, that same tribe of Indians have been transformed by the power of God. 
The message of Jesus was taken to them by their wives and by their children. And those five young men, their living was not in vain. And as I think about those five young men, that God had raised them up to be spiritual leaders, to be committed leaders, and they were willing to die for the cause of Jesus Christ. And as we look at in our society today that the gospel still must be proclaimed, the gospel still must be shared, the gospel still must be shared across this land and country and across the world. And it's my prayer that God will continue to raise up men and women like these five young men and their wives to continue to share the gospel. It took a tremendous act of courage. It took a tremendous act of leadership for these men to carry the gospel to where it had never gone before. The question comes today, what act of leadership will you participate in? How will God use you, not only here in Seattle, but how will God use you to the uttermost parts of the world? I will submit to you today that it will take spiritual leadership, not just any leadership, but leadership that is ignited by the Holy Spirit. Dr. Ken Blanchard, who wrote a very provoking book called Lead Like Jesus, stated that leadership is a process. It's a process of influence. And anytime you seek to influence the thinking, the behavior, and development of people in their personal or professional lives, you are taking on the role of a leader. So each one of you have a sphere of influence where you are taking on the role of a leader, whether it be in your family, whether it be on campus, whether it be with your circle of friends, God has called you to be a leader. John Maxwell says it this way, leadership is influence, nothing more and nothing less. I like the way Henry, Henry Blackaby says, spiritual leadership is moving people on to God's agenda. Moving people on to God's agenda. Spiritual leadership, I would venture to say, is a commitment and not a feeling. It's a long obedience in the same direction, as one writer has put it. But when we look at this particular text, we see uh, a particular situation that has arise in the early church. Uh, they are a community of believers who are transitioning from one level of faith to another. And here in this particular passage of scripture, we find that there is conflict in the early church. That the Greek-speaking Jews, the widows, and the Hebraic-speaking Jews, their widows, are getting preferential treatment. And this concern was brought to the apostles' attention. What are they going to do about it? And what I love about the apostles is that they didn't wait for uh, this thing to pass over. They dealt with it right then and there. And what we find here in this text is, first of all, there is a commitment to move people toward unity. Now, sometimes unity can be hard work. 
When you have people who have their own ideas, their own thoughts, their own idiosyncrasies, their own moody ways, uh, their own fickle ways, and, and when you when you come into contact with people, people change every day. What they may like today, they may not like tomorrow. And I imagine that that was the kind of context that the apostles were ministering in in this particular passage of Scripture. One writer put it this way, the Hebraic Jews had a prejudicial sense of superiority over the Grecian Jews. Because of their own birthplace and language, ethnic diversity will always bring with it opportunities for prejudicial division and injustice. So what is being said here in this text is that uh, they had their own ethnic pride and they believed that they deserved uh, preferential treatment because that they were Jewish. They, they deserve preferential treatment because they were Hebraic-speaking Jews and and the disciples, the apostles, began to nip this situation in the bud. They began to deal with it from uh, their leadership standpoint. And I think it's important for us to understand today, if you're going to be a spiritual leader, uh, you cannot wait for someone else to deal with an issue. Maybe God puts it on your heart to deal with that issue. Maybe God has equipped you to deal with a particular challenge, a particular issue. And, and what we see in this text here today is that the Holy Spirit empowers us to be spiritual leaders. There's a big difference between secular, secular leadership and spiritual leadership. Secular leadership is self-centered. Spiritual leadership is other-centered, it's Christ-centered. It's, it's a leadership that is instigated and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And what we discover here in this text is that uh, these men, these, these 12 apostles were men who were led by the Holy Spirit and they dealt with this issue, issue which could have been a big problem which could have separated the church. But they brought unity back to this situation. The, the apostles empowered the congregation to come up with a solution. And when I read this passage, I thought about myself because I don't like dealing with conflict. Uh, many times when, there, when there's conflict in my life, I try to avoid it. But one of my mentors said to me one day, he said, Conflict is often necessary so that selfishness can be exposed and humility emerge. Conflict is often necessary so that selfishness can be exposed and humility emerge. And so when you find yourself in a situation where there's conflict between another brother and you, uh, don't run from conflict because it could deepen your relationship with that individual. Uh, don't run from conflict because it could stretch you to become a, a, a deeper believer in Jesus Christ. Uh, don't run from conflict because it could enlarge your territory. Conflict is necessary if we're going to grow in our Christian walk with Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. I like the way one writer put it. When we think about this passage and we see this, uh, this conflict that's really bordering on 
uh, ethnic conflict or on, on diversity. But one writer put it this way, and this really resonated with me. He says, we were all humans until race disconnected us. Religion separated us. Politics divided us. And wealth classified us. We were all humans until we allowed these categories to separate us. You know, I was talking to a brother the other day, and I said to him, you know, if Noah had three sons, now, it, Noah, there's no way Noah could have had a black son, a white son, and an Asian son. They must have all been brothers, so they must have all been the same color. So if Noah had three sons, how do we create this dichotomy? Because at the end of the day, we all, we all come from the same people. We all come from the same person. And so we're all brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen? Amen. So we find here in this passage that there is a commitment to unity. All of us play a role in unity. All of us play a role in coming together. And so don't allow race to disconnect you. Don't allow religion to separate you from someone else. Don't allow politics, being a Democrat or Republican, to separate you. Uh, don't allow wealth to classify you. Because at the end of the day, we're all brothers and sisters in Christ. And as spiritual leaders, it's my prayer that as God develops each and every one of us as leaders, that we will begin to see the big picture that we are citizens of heaven first and citizens of earth second. That our heavenly citizenship has more weight on our earthly citizenship. And so we should be listening to the unction of the Holy Spirit, the unction of God, and live out our lives horizontally with one another. Amen? But not only is there a commitment to move toward unity, there is also embedded in this text a commitment to move people toward spiritual equality, to move people toward spiritual equality. What I mean by that, that there should be within us a spiritual conviction to treat everybody right due to the fact that every human being is created in the image of God. In other words, that there should be a conviction not to withhold human resources from any individual due to the color of their skin. Because at the end of the day, Jesus died for people and not for stuff. Jesus died for human beings uh, and not for stuff. We have a tendency to love things and use people. And God wants us to love people and use things. That's my amen corner right there. And what we see here in this text is there, there is uh, the power of the Spirit moving the church toward spiritual equality. Uh, that each and every one of us must recognize that we were all created in the image of God. 
Look, look at what, what it says here. That says, so the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom, and we will turn this responsibility over to them. I love what the apostles are doing here. They're sharing their leadership. They're sharing their power. They understand that in order for the church to be what it ought to be, leadership must be shared. Power must be shared. And the church and the community of faith must be empowered to make decisions. And really we find here at work that what, what Peter said that we are a royal priesthood, that we are, that we all have access to God, not just the apostles, but every person who accepts Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior has access to God. Amen? And so this is what we see here in this text, that there is a movement toward spiritual equality. And if the spirit was at work then, in the same way, the spirit is at work now in the 21st century. And we've heard it said many times before that 11 o'clock Sunday is the most segregated hour in the world, in the nation. That should not be. That should not be because when we get to heaven, there will not be a white part of heaven. There won't be a black part of heaven. There won't be an Asian part of heaven. There won't be a Hispanic part of heaven. There won't be a Presbyterian part of heaven. There won't be a Baptist part of heaven. There won't be a Methodist part of heaven. It will just be heaven. And if we can't get along down here, then how in the world we think we're going to get along up there? <laughs> so we must all be committed to spiritual Equality, amen? amen. Not only that, we also see in this text a commitment to move toward spiritual growth. A commitment to move toward spiritual growth. I love the way the apostles began to prioritize their calling. They knew that their calling was to pray, they knew that their calling was to preach and teach the word of God. They did not want to get caught up in some sideshows or distractions. They knew that God had called them to preach and teach. And sometimes we find ourselves getting caught up or we get, find ourselves getting distracted. Uh, and God has wired you a certain way and God has wired you a certain way. And the way that God has wired you uh, may be very, is very important to the to the church and moving the church and advancing God's kingdom forward. And so it's so important that we know what our gifts are. It's so important that we know what God has called us to do because sometimes uh, the best time saver in life is sometimes to say no to someone because God didn't call you to that. Sometimes you, you gotta, if someone asks you to do something, you know that's, that's not your gift. You know that that's not what God called you to do. Sometimes the best way to save some time is to say no. And I, I know sometimes we want to please everybody. We want to be people pleasers. But God has called us to be God pleasers. And we've got to focus on how we can please God. And this is what I love about the apostles, that they knew what their gifts were. But then they began to delegate the responsibilities to another group of men. 
seven men. And it's interesting because these men were not Hebraic-speaking Jews. They were Greek-speaking Jews. And so he empowered, they empowered these men to serve tables. They empowered these men to meet the needs of the widows. Because in that day and time, uh, when a husband passed and there was a widow, there was no Social Security, there was no health insurance, there was no life insurance. So it was the responsibility of the church, of the community of faith, to take care of the widows. So this was a big issue uh, that widows be taken care of. And they, they, they made it a priority to take care of those women who had lost loved ones. But also we see here that there is a commitment to spiritual growth, that they committed themselves to pray and to the word of God. They knew that God had what called them to do. The apostles were comfortable in their own spiritual skin. And that's what I want to encourage you today. Just be comfortable in your own spiritual skin, what God has called you to do and what God has called you to be. And wherever God has placed you, uh, bloom where you're planted. Grow where you're planted. Uh, don't, don't look across the field and see that the grass is green on the other side. God has called you to be where you are today because he's developing you, that he's stretching you. It's important that we understand that God has a spiritual curriculum that he has each and every one of us on. And that curriculum may not be like the person next to you, but God is developing you and expanding your skills so that you can be fit for the master's use and reach your full potential in Jesus Christ. Henry Blackaby talks about spiritual leadership a lot. He wrote a book called Spiritual Leadership, and he, and he, makes, he makes some very valid points, and I, and I want to just deposit this in your spirit. He says, spiritual leaders, the spiritual leader's task is to move people from where they are to where God wants them to be. Secondly, he says, spiritual leaders depend on the Holy Spirit. Thirdly, he says, spiritual leaders are accountable to God. And fourthly, he says, spiritual leaders can influence all people, not just God's people. I think that's important because you may be on a job where you may be the only Christian on your job. But God has called you to be a leader there and not just to influence God's people, but to influence all people. You may be the only Christian in your class. You may be the only Christian in your neighborhood. You may be the only Christian uh, on that team. Uh, but God has called you to be a spiritual leader to influence not just God's people, but all people. So it, it takes a commitment to move people towards spiritual growth. Uh, and as leaders, it's, uh, it's my prayer that you, not only that you would lead people to spiritual growth, but that you would be a leader who is a good follower of Jesus Christ. Because you cannot be a good leader if you're not a good follower. And in order for a leader to be, a, a, a follower to be a leader, they must be committed to the one that they're following, and that is Jesus Christ. You know, when I was in, in college, I, I uh, had the opportunity to audit a class. And I love the idea of auditing a class because that meant 
I didn't have to take any tests. That meant I didn't, you know, if, if the professor wanted me to read a book, it was optional for me. It also meant that I didn't have to pay as much money as some of the ones who were taking the class for credit. Uh, it, I was auditing the class. And so it, it, it was, I would sit in class and I would just be relaxed because I didn't have any pressure that some of the other guys had in the class. But when the class was over, I didn't get any credit. When the class was over, uh, I didn't get any grade. I didn't get a grade, and, and it was not added uh, to, to, my, uh, to, to my class and to my grades. And so I began to think about that because I believe that many times we audit the Christian life. Many times, <laughs> amen, somebody. <laughs> many times we, 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 we come to the end, we come to worship, and we audit the Christian life. And God wants us to give us some credit for what we do. God wants us to be committed as spiritual leaders. God wants us uh, to reach our full potential in Jesus Christ. So my prayer for you today is that you will no, no longer audit the Christian life. Because when Jesus died on that cross, it wasn't an audit. Amen. When his hands were nailed to the cross, it was not an audit. When a crown of thorns was placed on his head, it was not an audit. When he died on that cross and gave up the ghost and was buried in Joseph's new tomb, it was not an audit. And when he got up on that third day with all power in his hand, it, it was because Jesus not only wanted to give himself the credit, but he wanted to give you the credit. And because Jesus died on the cross and rose again, you have some credit that you didn't earn. You have some credit that you didn't earn. That the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And so it's my prayer for you today that you would commit yourself to Jesus. That you would sign up for the Christian life. Because if you sign up for the Christian life, Jesus said those who suffer with me, will also reign with me. Amen? Amen? Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for what our ears have seen, our ears have heard, our eyes have seen, and we pray, dear God, that as we live this Christian life, uh, that we would live it in a spirit of commitment, but that you would raise up men and women within this audience who have the courage to be a Christian, men and women who will take this Christian journey seriously and would have a ripple effect, not only in this city, not only on the campus, but the uttermost parts of the world. That is my prayer today, dear God. We give you the glory and the honor. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.